Welcome to the Dream Big Nation podcast. In this show, veteran recruiter, wealth mentor, and entrepreneur, Lisa Williams, will take you on a journey of exploration and discovery to learn what it takes to hire yourself. Are you ready to dream big and grow into the person you're meant to become? If so, you're in for a treat. And now, here is your host, Lisa Williams. Hello, friends. Welcome back to our Dream Big Nation podcast. I am so excited to introduce our guest today, a new friend for me, Mr. Paul Capozio. Paul, welcome to our show. Oh, my God, Lisa. Thank you so much. Proud to be a part of uh, Dream Big Nation. Absolutely. You know, I'm going I mean, to just brag about you a little bit, uh, a okay. minute, and then we'll get right into it. So I'm from I, New Jersey. I have no argument there. <laughs> <laughs> I I love that you come from my world that I lived in for so many years. We could probably talk for hours about the crazy world of staffing and HR, but Paul is a self-made man. He uh, was the president of a very, very huge company, Tri-State PEO, for many, many years and went on to form his own company, Capco Capital, which you know, was really a transition for him as a result of finding some, you know, issues in his own family around developmental disabilities and autoimmune, some chronic pain issues and, and blood pressure and really became a driving force in his life to make health his business. And what I absolutely love about your transition, Paul, is how you are now empowering those in the health and wellness space with those same skills that you made you so successful in corporate and giving them a voice that allows them to, quote unquote, you know, be salespeople and, you know, provide value for the products that they so well and love. So I am so excited to interview your genius. I want to start by talking about your roots. Now, you and I both come from that recruiting and HR space. I find that most people have completely fallen into that in, right. you know, arena. And I'd love you to share a bit about your journey from there, but more importantly, really what, you know, brought you to what you're doing today. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, most people that make a decision to get into staffing HR, it's really just an option for them. I don't think anybody really wakes up and their childhood dream is to really be a recruiter or a staffing person. I was more involved on the sales side, and I really appreciate the, I want to just one thing ring true when you said self-made man, because I truly am a self-made man. Would I have made a face like this if I, if I actually fired, you know, hired somebody out to make it? <laughs> so... <laughs> So I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. But I go back to, I was born in Hoboken, New Jersey. And if you don't know where Hoboken, New Jersey is, it's the birthplace of baseball and Frank Sinatra. And then after that, the potential was literally sucked out of that town. So we kind of had to make it on our own. I'm a street kid. You know, we grew up, my parents moved to a town called West New York, New Jersey, which is really just across the Hudson River by the Lincoln Tunnel, if that helps anybody geographically. And I literally was always the entrepreneurial kid. You know, you know, if we, we ran street carnivals, which is basically just, the, you know, any way to get a nickel out of somebody for anything from lemonade to some sort of game of chance. And we did that. And and I had the paper route thing. So the entrepreneurial spirit was alive and well, even though I didn't really understand what it was at the time. And I'll fast forward a little bit because I worked in construction and from construction, I formed my own little construction company. I was an electrician. I went to trade school. I, I don't. 
uh, have any college uh, education whatsoever. In fact, the first time I ever stepped foot in the college was when I was asked to speak in one, you know, about, about 10, 15 years ago. And we formed a company that was doing electrical contracting. I did it out of my parents' basement in Secaucus, New Jersey. And as we were growing that, I had about four employees, then five, and then seven employees, and I had to do payroll. So I learned how to do payroll, then it started to get overwhelming, and I hired somebody part-time to do payroll, and my neighbor was a plumber, and he's like, listen, I can't figure this payroll stuff out. He got in trouble, you know, for paying people cash, and, and he said, I need to do payroll, and it started to blossom from there, and we did, you know, one payroll, and then two, and then five, and then we learned about this employee leasing concept where you could combine all of these employees and they, they work for me versus working for the individual company. So I was responsible for the federal tax, the state tax, the unemployment, the health insurance, or any other benefits they may, may want. And I was able to buy that at a discount, right? So it's, it's cheaper to buy health insurance for 100 people than it is to buy it for three. So that economy's of scale. That industry was growing at the time. And we built a really nice business. Uh, it was in the millions of dollars in billing. And I was literally in my late 20s at the time. And I wanted to sell the company. So we sold the company to a company in New York City, which came became Tri-State PEO, which also became Corporate Resource Services, which was a NASDAQ traded company. And I was instrumental in, in, in that transition. But when I sold the company to, to the owner and he said, well, what are you going to do now? And I said, well, I think I'm going to go build another one of these things and sell it to you because it was a score. And he goes, no, 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 that's way, way too expensive for me. Why don't you stay here? And here's where the entrepreneurial thing comes in. And this may seem odd to some people, but I want you to try to understand it, that I said to him, look, I'll do it and I'll take this role of president of sales marketing. I'm a sales guy, obviously. And I said, but I got to be an independent contractor. I got to be paid on a 1099. I can't feel like I'm an employee. I just can't do it. It will. And, and it was really just a a mechanism, but it was a mindset thing, right? And we know mm. that the biggest thing is between our ears here. This is the, the toughest place to, to, to find success because everything else is relatively easy. If it wasn't, if it was as hard as people think it was or is, you know, no one would ever be able to do it. We're not geniuses. We're just driven. There's a, there's a big difference, right? In fact, sometimes too much knowledge is a dangerous thing because you overthink it you know, and you'll overthink and overthink. And then that means you just never get started. So we built that company. When I walked in the door, they were a $350 million company. Now that sounds like big numbers, but it's based on payroll and payroll accumulates quickly. Well, we grew that company to 1.5 billion with a B. And that company was very, very successful. We're making money hand over fist. We were publicly traded company on the NASDAQ. My wife and I had tons of stock and my, the owner got into a battle with his finance finance company. I won't get into the details here, but it's a great story for business people to understand. And the company was shut down overnight. In three months, a $1.5 billion company. Now, the good story is now, just recently, Easter, the owner called me and said that he settled with, they were wrong, and they shut Mm -hmm. him down, and he got a huge, huge settlement. But whether that leave Linda and I? So, Three months before I saw this handwriting on the wall, I knew he wasn't going to make it. And there's a there's an old uh, saying about it's better to beg for forgiveness than ask for permission. So I started moving my book of business, which is about $128 million, over into a new co, into my company that I formed, actually with another another salesman from the company. And we moved that over. And I'll never forget, he called me right before we were ready to leave. And he said, hey, I want to talk to you. And I said, no problem. I said, but listen, Robert, before you speak to me, I got to tell you something. And if you still want to speak to me, 
you know, I'll, 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 I'll listen to what you have to say. He goes, uh, okay, go ahead. And I said, listen, I moved my book a bit. He goes, stop with that. I know you did it. It's the mm-hmm. smart move. I respect you for it. What I'm trying to tell you is if I ever get back on my feet, I'd like for you to come back. And I told him that I would seriously consider that. And I probably would, but that never happened. But that was that conversation. And still to this day, we're friends and we speak to each other or text each other, you know, at least minimum of once a month, if not more. You know, yeah. so that's that story. That was the kind of little bit of falling forward a little bit where, you know, we, we thought that, and that was the dodge, a bullet that we dodged when in our lives. That, when was that, Paul, for you? That was 2015. Okay. So it's really okay. not that long not ago. Very long so 2015. Ago. And while we're doing this, I realized I can never put myself in that position again. That whole, we had this basket that was nice, cushionly lined, but we had all our eggs in that one basket. In that one basket. And that was yeah. a big, big mistake. We had left probably 13 to $18 million in stock on the table. And that is basically wallpaper now. So, right. you know, so that's, that's a, all right, is, is a loss on paper? No, you people say, oh, that's just a paper loss. No, no, no. When you're counting on that, you know, for part of your future, which is a significant future, you know, that really does hurt. That really does hurt. Because when you're self-employed, you know, we don't have all the benefits of all of those type of retirement plans or a pension, nor would I want one because in the grand scheme of things, they're not really that effective. You know, there's right. so many other greater things, but you're, you're a bigger expert on that than I am. And some of our mutual friends are as well. And that's what I tell people, connect with people. You want to be connected to Lisa and some of our other friends, and we'll probably get into some of them in a little bit, but raise your game. You know, don't yeah. hang out with your brother-in-law who sits on the couch eating chili with his fingers because he's too lazy <laughs> to get a spoon. You know, hang out with the, you know, the Lisa Williams of the world. You know, tap into this information. Well, tell us, tell us then about the transition to Capco and, and New You Life because I, I really want to get into that health and wellness and, and sure. making, making health your business and empowering right. others in that space as well. Tell us about how did that start? You know, the, sure. the backstory with Linda, I think that's really powerful for the people. Oh, yeah, sure. So, so Capco is really, you know, Capozio Company, right? That's my last right. name. So Capco, we formed Capco, and it was an investment company. And we did some real estate deals, and we did the staffing company. The staffing company is is owned by the holding company, which is Capco. I said, look, I'm never going to do that again. I'm going to have this, this holding company that's going to have these multiple streams of income into it so that I could function. So as we're going through this, we're building, I remember taking Adderall just to kind of get through that period. I, I have attention deficit <laughs> disorder, but I do. I'm diagnosed, so I wasn't taking it illegally. But so as we're going through this, a friend of mine who's 30-year friend calls me up, and he's a huge network marketer. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're the type of person, oh, network marketing, and you get the, 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 the creepy feeling about it, good, but you're wrong because I was that person. I never wanted to do it. I had somebody who had a 30-year family friends who made $28 million in network marketing in seven years. Mm-hmm. These were personal friends. And I said no to them every year. Hey, we made 80,000 this year. Yeah, not for me. Hey, we made a million two this year. Hey, we made 7 million this year. And it kept going up and up and up. And I kept saying no, no, no. Because I kept saying as the better they were doing, I felt the less of a chance I had to make that kind of money. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they retired from that. They sent retired. They, they sit in retirement for two years and they call me up about this product. And I, I, don't, I don't really want to hawk product, but they said, hey, it's HGH. It's MLM and it's FDA registered. So I'm like, well, I like the FDA. I like the FDA and I like the HGH because I did HGH, you know, 10, 12 years ago. But the MLM thing eh, doesn't, you know, really, really 
you know, thrill me. So I said, look, I'll sign up. I'll try the products and everything. And Linda and I start the products. This was Christmas Eve. He called me, by the way, not to wish me a Merry Christmas, but to pitch me on something. Right? What, what year was this, Paul? This was uh, two and a half years ago. This is December of 2017. Okay. So December, Christmas Eve, 2017. I said, okay, I'll do it. The 28th, we get the product and my wife and I start taking it. Actually, we're going down to Florida. We took it. We were, we were staying in, in Naples for, for January and February. And we start taking the product. Well, in three days, Linda is sleeping tremendously. Now, Linda has uh, some health issues, significant health issues. Part of the challenge of Capco was to help her find some remedies and everything and get involved with companies, investing in companies that were doing this, you know, these, this, some research and things like that. So now I try this product, which is an over-the-counter product. Three days in, she's sleeping better. I don't feel anything. So now we go a week and a half and Linda has Hashimoto's disease. And Hashimoto's is an autoimmune disease, which you have a combination of severe rheumatoid arthritis she's diagnosed with. She has hypothyroidism, which is very so thyroid. Your hair falls out. Your eyelashes don't grow. Your weight gain. I have, I have hypothyroidism too. Oh, you do? Okay. I do. So yeah, she's yeah, on Graves a, a, disease. Oh, in Graves. Okay. So, well, actually we did talk about that when we first met a little bit, but so, so that was a big issue for her. And then she was also celiac, which means she gets a migraine if she happens to eat a half a breadcrumb. So, so all of this was going on and she notices like she has less joint discomfort in her hands. We're down in Florida and it's, and it's, it's raining out. And she goes, you know, what's funny. I normally can tell when it's going to rain two days before. And I said, that's interesting. I said, but it's probably, you really want this to work. You've been trying to get off of all that junk for years. I, I understand the placebo effect. So let's wait it out. Well, I don't feel anything. Three and a half weeks in, I'm sitting on the beach on a towel and a sea turtle crawls out of the ocean, sits next to me, lights a cigar and starts having a conversation with me. And I realize I'm having the most intense, vivid dream. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Because you'll see... I've told this story quite a few times and I, I realize I'm having the most vivid dream. And Linda woke me up the next morning, which 830, I get up at 5 a.m. like clockwork. We were talking about that before the interview, like clockwork. I've never needed an alarm since I'm 18. And she, she goes, you know what? You were talking in your sleep. You were snoring. I don't snore. Somebody else that I sleep with <laughs> snores for 31 years, right? The, and, and then she goes, you were out cold. I got up at 830 and I didn't even move. The bed was in one spot. And I said, wow, this is something. So I'm going to fast forward a little bit. All right. So I fast forward to March of 18 now. And we're not selling anything. We're not telling anybody about it. We're just enjoying it. A couple of friends said, hey, Linda, your skin looks great. What are you doing? And she mentioned it, right? So I'm outside her doctor's office. I won't say what type of doctor. And he basically tells her to he's going to remove her from one of the things she's taking. And she has been taking for 26 years. Uh, and I said, did you tell him about this stuff? You mind if I show it? Is it okay if I show it? Because I'm yeah, really proud of yeah, it. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Well, there's a lot of it, but this is the this is the product here. It's called Somerderm. It's the only FDA-registered non-prescription human growth hormone gel and has a thyroid component and an adrenal component. And thank you for letting me show that because I think it's, it's really changed. We've done 3.2 million bottles of this already, by the way. This is not some startup. So- mm -hmm. So now I said, that's great. I said, you know what? I think I'm going to start sharing this. We have a lot of friends, a lot of family, a lot of people, you know, that want to improve their health. And we get in the car and she goes, I'm going to tell you something else before you go crazy. Cause I know you, she goes, I know what you're going to do. You're going to blow this thing up. She goes, I stopped taking the stuff I was taking for my, for my, my, my wrist discomfort. Okay. And her bone discomfort. 
I got to be very careful here because there's medical claims yeah. and everything. And my, sure. nothing may happen for you at all. But ask yeah. if somebody's buying 3.2 million bottles. Let me put it that way. Yeah. So, so she, and I said, that's amazing. She goes, yep. So now technically I'm not, t- she goes to the drugstore for hairspray now and that's it. Wow. So, so all of this positive information, we start sharing, we start talking. I walk into Whole Foods and I'm on the phone talking to a friend about it. And there's a fireman in front of me and he's like, what are you talking about? I want to know what that is. And now we're one of the largest distributors in the country. Uh, just telling you that my, you know, I'm, I'm in Hong Kong and the Philippines and, and Taiwan and, and, and Denmark. And it's, it's, it's an amazing, amazing opportunity. And I do it from my phone. So if yeah. you don't believe in it or you want to learn, Lisa, I'll be more than happy to educate get your people on well, it. Well, you know what I'd like to go back to a little bit is sure. Sorry, you, made, you made a major leap. I mean, you don't see that happen very often going from traditional business to network marketing and right, really right. being, you know, your game even higher than you were in traditional business, right? <laughs> yeah, right. In terms of the sky's the limit. Right. Now, I, I think a lot of people are dealing with Really, they're dealing with outdated beliefs about right. network true, marketing, true. in my opinion. Right. I come from corporate as well. I never had been involved with network marketing, but I think a lot of it was I really didn't understand it. Sure. You know, so People don't. Talk, talk about your misconceptions and then really what the reality is in your right. experience. So I, look, it goes way back when I was a kid. I remember my parents having some guy in the living room and he's explaining this plan on how to buy soap and window cleaner and everything <laughs> else. And, and, you know, the guy was talking about getting his third Rolls Royce. And my uncle says, well, why don't you fix that hole in your shoe first before you? So there was a little bit of that aluminum siding salesman thing to it. But, and here's why though, that guy was driven. He was misguided in not just being honest because I think today everybody has a side hustle, the side gig, the boss, babe, the entrepreneur, all of these things are, are very commonplace today and how we do it. We do affiliate programs. We want to sell potholders on Etsy. So it's a little bit more understood. Network marketing has a thing where, oh, you're not going to make money in that. Yeah. If you have that attitude, you're not going to make money in it. It's the same thing with business. If you wouldn't take the risk I would tell people this. Look, you want to go and you want to cash out your 401k and take out $250,000, go to a franchise show and buy a mini donut machine, go right ahead. But why would you take that risk when you can get involved and not just the company that I'm associated with, any company that's a good, solid company, well-ranked, no debt, you know, doesn't have any, any, you know, shady money in there. They're easy to find. And then they're going to do the product development. They're going to do the shipping. They're going to do the fulfillment. They're going to do all the credit card processing. So all you need to do is share and hopefully you have a positive experience. Find something unique that you can't buy in Walmart or on Amazon because it's very, very difficult. And then the rest is really up to you sharing an authentic story for people. Mm -hmm. Because as much as I like to say I'm a sales guru, it's really the product experience and the testimonies and the before and afters that really do it. People want to look or feel that way. You know, yeah. that's what that's what I what attracted me to it. But really what's driving me now, besides my why, taking care of my son. I mean, that's a big thing. Look, I don't wish anyone to have that, you know, a, a, a child with with a disability or something to, to be their motivator. But in a way, I kind of almost wish they did have something significant because it gets your butt off the couch, you know, and it's it's sad to say, but I was probably more blessed than most having to deal with those things because it puts the greater world into perspective for you. So I don't wish you hardship that you can't overcome, but I wish you some hardship that drives you 
to succeed. You know, I want your success. instinct. we have a survival instinct, the mom that could pick the car up off a kid, you know, and everything else. And that's our survival instinct, right? Imagine if our success, uh, success instinct could be as powerful. Mm, I love that. You know, imagine that. Yeah. You talked in an interview that I, I watched about importance of choosing your partnerships and your, your, your partnership with Linda and that she, this was actually the first business that she was really excited about. And I think it's, it's an interesting point because, you know, most people, they, they go to work, they, they accidentally land in their career, whatever that's going to be. And there's a real difference between these companies that are, are champion the, they champion the family and the dreams right. of the family. And sure. I mean, tell me about the difference in your opinion. Why is it so important? Because I do think it is important as an entrepreneur, business builder, whatever you're getting into, that you really do have a serious discussion with your partner right. about what it's going to take to be successful and and really be all in together in some ways. Right. Tell, tell me about your experience with that and your opinion about that. Well, a couple of things, because, you know, I, I want to talk about that, that family unit thing, because it's important, because think about this. Most people will spend more time and effort thinking about a small business opportunity, like they're going to spend a couple hundred dollars to, to try something, but yet they'll have an accidental pregnancy and realize that that baby is going to cost you $250,000 by the time he's the age of 17. And we don't think, oh my God, how am I going to do that? How am I going to pay for $250,000 over the next 17 years? But we just do it, right? And we don't think about it. So people put more thought into a side hustle business to give them an extra two, $3,000 a month than they do into having a child and how that is going to be paid for. Mm-hmm. That to me is is a perspective that people I just don't get it. You know, like I said, if you could make that decision and say we're going to have another child or a third child or a fourth, but we really, really need to think about spending you know six hundred dollars and and starting a business and be coached by people like Lisa or or me or or Alex Stern or some of the other friends that we have that we know really are passionate about this industry because you could help somebody with nothing, right? Anybody could make a, build a business with a million dollars in the bank. You know, mm-hmm. but if you've got to do something from scratch, you know, what a great way not to risk every risk at all. So then, you know, you also need to realize that sometimes the spouse is like, oh, should we really do that? Or is it going to take you time away from me? And I want to talk about selfishness. You have to determine selfishness by one thing. Sometimes being selfish is very, very important to you. And, I'm, and, and just hear me out and let me finish. Because usually if someone is calling you selfish, if you feel you're being selfish, you're probably being selfish. But if someone's telling you that you're a selfish person, you have to evaluate that very, very, very critically. Because are they just saying, hey, you're not paying enough attention to me, or you're not delivering to me what, what I want from you, then who's the selfish one? Mm-hmm. So really selfishness is, is it's all in, it's all relative. Let's put it that way. So be careful with somebody calling you selfish. Yeah. Even in Absolutely. your own relationship, because maybe, yeah. you, you know, some, even relationships need work. I'm married 31 years. Trust me. It wasn't, you know, we had a couple of rough years there, but you know, we, we, we pulled back and saw the perspective and we're very, very happy. Well, I feel like having, you went through something that my parents went through. It sounds like you did have a separation for a period of time. And right. my parents had the same. And 
I feel like the the level of love that they were able to achieve after that, it just oh was God. so much deeper. You know, I, sure. it sounds like you and Linda have that as well. Yeah. Remember, we I know her more than half my life. I'm in a relationship with her more than half my life. That's a long time. And we got together in our early 20s. Right. So there's a lot of growing that has to be done. Mm-hmm. And Linda, it's a funny thing. Well, she'll say that, you know, it's a it's a it's a long shot to be in a relationship that long and be married, separate for a couple of years and and not, and get back together again and be successful. And Linda yeah. goes, of all the things that lightning's going to strike, we can't win the lottery for 60 million. We got to, you know, we would have, but our relationship is worth way, way more than that. But, it, and it's, and she's, you know, tongue in cheek, but you know, we, it's a one in a million, but it takes some work. But I will tell you that that experience apart really lets you evaluate what you truly have. And mm-hmm. I hope many of you don't need to go through that to find out what you have. And if you don't, if you're not in the right relationship, it's important to do it too. Now, we're both spiritual people. So, you know, we tend to stick in things longer than we than than we should because we we have certain beliefs. But that's important too, right? Your own, you know, what's your own moral compass? What's your own moral code that you're going to stick yeah. to? Because that's important. One of the things I think I know the interview you're talking about was it, it was uh, in Las Vegas, I think, but yeah. So in that interview, it's the guy said, well, how do you know who to do deals with? You can't trust people. And I say that you get at the end of a transaction, right? And the deal is over and you pull all the knives out of your back and you look at them and whoever's <laughs> knife is not in your back is who you do the next deal with. And that's really that simple. Just look at the people that you survive through a deal with, you know, and who didn't try to take severe advantage. And that's who you do your next deal with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about, let's talk about fear for a little bit. And more importantly, uh, the fear of rejection. My Mm. observation is that there's a lot of people that, like you said, they'll, they'll sit back on the couch. They'll, they'll watch the webinars. They'll, they'll see the success of others, but it's that fear of rejection that holds them back. What, what would you say about that concept? How do you, how do you overcome that? And okay, how, so this how is for would, the mom, how would others? Yeah, this is for the entrepreneurs, the just getting started people. The, I'm not sure if I could do it already. Look, you've all sold something. You've sold a movie. You've sold a great restaurant. You've done all of that, and you've heard that a million times before. Let me give you something different. You're making it way too hard on yourself mm-hmm. because people don't truly understand the sales process. And if you want to know sales in a nutshell, right now, and I'm going to give you the secret to any small business success. And it's three simple things. Most people don't know the difference between a contact, a prospect, and a lead about it. Because it's not that they're afraid of rejection. Because let's face it, if you go to somebody who just opened up a brand new pizzeria and just invested $300,000, and you said to them, by the way, on your grand opening day, you say to them, by the way, would you like to join my small part-time business? It's horrible timing. He's literally <laughs> cutting the ribbon on his new business. So, so understand that timing is important too. But here's the secret to it all. You need to build a mountain of contacts, meeting people, friends, business cards, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, wherever you go, collect friends. Number one, believe in friends first, meaning that there's no reason for me to believe that Lisa and I will be, I may be or she may be in my top 10 best friends over the next three to five years. It is entirely possible, right? So if I go in with the expectation of that's a possibility, I'm willing to hold the door open for her at a shopping mall, right? Right. So have that mindset. Now we go to stage two. You've got your mountain of contacts. You need to distill them down to prospects. Who are prospects? 
Prospects are people that you think you'd want to do business with, right? At a glance, because you don't really know much about them. So the next phase of prospecting is getting to know them. Not saying, hey, by the way, thank you for accepting my friendship on Facebook. And I really got this great face cream and I think you should buy it. And I also, wrong, absolutely wrong. I want you to go slow to go fast. Mm -hmm. The reason we go slow is this. You need to spend a lot of time in the prospecting stage in communicating, liking, sharing people's information, uh, getting to know them, building them up at the same time. You may, it may fall on deaf ears, but then eventually you're going to start that communication. They can move offline into private messaging or text or phone calls, and you're still going to communicate. So now you've built a hill of prospects, right? People that you're communicating with on a regular basis. And when you have the zero or mild anxiety is there, there's not that high anxiety of saying, hey, by the way, Fred, you know, I saw that you had mentioned something about you, you know, you were up late last night at a wedding and now you don't want to cut the lawn because you don't have energy this morning. I have something I'd like for you to talk about. You should be able to move in that. And then, and if Fred says, yeah, I'll listen to you about that, Paul right? That's a lead. And until that person says to you, yes, I will listen or look at what you're offering, they're not a lead. They're just a prospect. And if you try to close somebody's phone number and they're the rich real estate agent on the corner and you think they'd be perfect for you, but they're not a lead. So you need to distill these down to a, a, a mound of leads. So if you do the first two aspects properly, right? and you move into the zero anxiety phase about approaching them about your product or business, you will be successful and you'll have zero anxiety, okay, about it. You won't have a fear of rejection because even if they said, hey, man, because they're going to communicate with you properly. They're not going to shut you down and go say, hey, great idea. I love it. But I just opened up my pizzeria yesterday. And your answer should be, that's great. I'm going to come down and I'm going to buy a pizza from you. Right. Yeah, that really should be I your answer. How can I support you? Yeah. Yeah. So, so understand it's mountain of, of contacts to a hill of prospects to a mound. Now, the key is you got to go slow, meaning go back and start building those first two phases and never stop. Mm-hmm. If you don't have 500 Facebook friends and you want to be in business, you made a mistake. Mm-hmm. I have two Facebook pages and a, a professional page. Right. And LinkedIn, thousands of people on LinkedIn. So if you're not doing that and if you're not genuinely appreciating people and showing, you know, that your appreciation for them, why would they want to do business with you? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I I can't believe we are almost out of time. Oh, my God. We're over time. You and I, we're over time, actually. But I have one more question I want to ask you. Sure. So for those that are listening, you know, later we are in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis right now. And I, I heard this question. I borrowed this from Jason Capital, who I adore. And he, he talks about, so picture yourself, you're, you and Linda, you're on your, your patio, your villa in St. Croix that you just got back from. Your grandchildren come up to you. Maybe it's your maybe it's your great grandchildren. I don't know because you you already have grandchildren, but right. they they're like grandpa. I just heard about. I just learned about COVID. You know, I heard people went crazy. What did you What did you and grandma do? What would you say? Well, what I would say about COVID historically was: look, there was a serious crisis, and there were people getting sick. There were people getting sick, like, and, and if this offends certain people, I'm sorry, but I have to be true to myself. But there were people getting sick. It was definitely a serious virus, as serious as uh, some, not as serious as others. 
but we needed to protect ourselves. But then what happened was something very unique in American history, what happens maybe every 20 to 30 years, is that it became politicized, right? And people started mm-hmm. to use a negative, uh, something that was happening bad to all of us. And instead of trying to put us all together and, and deal with this collectively, people tried to take advantage of the situation. Mm-hmm. And I don't think sweetheart or, or my, my, my grandson, whatever, whoever I, I happen, my great grandson or great granddaughter. And I said that you have to understand that you need to make your own decisions about how you feel about people. And, you know, people are good. You know, groups of people can sometimes be bad because yeah. they just have the wrong messaging. So what happened with COVID was a bad situation was made worse by people who wanted to take advantage of other people. But meanwhile, grandma and grandpa built a legacy for your family. Yeah, well, that's well, that's <laughs> the goal, right? Never let anything stop you because there are people making money now like they've never made money before because of it. You know, oh, absolutely. I don't know how I feel about that, but you know. Well, let's face it, we've been through we went through, you know, 2000, 2008, now this. I mean, there's there's just as much money in the world. It's just moving from different buckets, right? And innovation's happening, to, right? Yeah, as much as we as much as we want to try to erase history, it's going to keep repeating itself. It's going to so, keep that's you know, that's the one thing on. we can we can count on is change, right? And sure, adversity. The only constant. <laughs> yeah. Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining us. You've been amazing. I could talk to you for a long, long time. We'll have to do this again sometime. To our listeners, I'm so blessed to be part of your day. So many of you are in early stages yourself and thinking about a change. And I know these stories I'm hoping are really giving you an opportunity to think about expanding your own life experience. If you want to catch up on previous, you know, interviews, go to dreambignationpodcast.com and there's lots of resources available to you at Lisa Williams Co. as well. So bless you all in your life journey and we will see you soon. Bye, Paul. Hey, Dream Big Nation community. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to learn more about working with Lisa and her team directly, go to lisawilliamsco.com and learn how to hire yourself.